Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, October the 16th, 2023. It is currently 1.03 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, if today is Monday, I know, I know everyone can figure this out. That means yesterday was Sunday. So what happened at your church on Sunday? What happened? What was the sermon on? Was there any chance that the sermon you heard yesterday had something to do with Israel, biblical prophecy, the current war that is happening between Israel and Hamas, some referring to it as Israel and Gaza, but the current horrible, tragic, devastating, destructive situation that is unfolding right now in real time. I don't know if you've seen the updates today, some absolutely horrific and horrible images coming out of Gaza. I, I, I was watching it and I finally had to go. I can't, I have to, I have to walk away because there's some horrific things unfolding. The situation, again, continues to escalate instead of de-escalate. More and more discussion and talk about more and more people getting involved, how this war could spread. I think I just saw an article that was posted maybe 15 minutes ago. There's there's like now like a 72% chance that this situation is going to spread and more people are going to get involved. I'm hoping that that prediction is absolutely wrong. But the situation is obviously a very serious one. And because Israel is involved, then many Christians obviously believe that there is prophetic significance to that. And even those who don't believe there's maybe prophetic significance, there are others who say, well, this has nothing to do because biblical Israel no longer exists. The nation of Israel today has nothing to do with biblical Israel. None of those covenants, none of those promises have anything to do with modern day Israel. They don't get the land, et cetera, et cetera. So they may want to be taught talking about it. So there's lots of reasons people may want to be talking about it. So when you went to church yesterday, did you hear anything about it? Now for us at Victory Baptist Church, the goal yesterday was three plus hours talking about Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39. Three hours dedicated to that, not in, in preaching it the way most churches would, because we don't ever do anything the way most churches would. We were going to approach it by doing Ezekiel 37 through 39, doing an observational exercise. We got an hour in and then we had massive technological problems and we weren't able to live stream, weren't able to record, weren't able to do anything else. So the second hour, no, well, only the people present got to hear it. So we're going to have to go back to that. And the reason I dedicated, was going to dedicate three plus hours to Ezekiel 37 and 38 and 39, as soon as things start happening in Israel, as soon as war breaks out, immediately I started hearing references to Ezekiel 37 and 39, started seeing it show up over and a number of places. And I'm like, okay, well, if a lot of people are going to be talking about this, I think that that's a section of scripture that is rat, that is constantly manipulated, ripped out of context and, and abused. So we're going to do an observational exercise because that helps people know what the text actually says versus constantly having someone's system of theology or eschatology imposed onto the text. I thought it was a great idea. 
things did not work out, but we will make that happen and we will finish that observational exercise because I think it is, it's very much needed in 2023. I think it's needed constantly because most churches don't even know what an observational exercise is and they never, they never do much with that or don't even know how to do that. And I think it helps actually protect people from being, well, manipulated by how people abuse the text. But I have been doing something since the conflict, since the war has started in Israel, and that has been, I've been trying to keep up. I've been trying my very best to keep up with what is going on within the Christian world in regards to this situation. I've been, in a sense, paying close attention. I've been looking at my podcast uh, notifications, and I've received podcast notification after podcast notification after another one about Israel and the current situation, about Israel and the current situation. And I knew that yesterday, churches all across the United States, churches everywhere would be talking about the situation. So I definitely was looking for notifications from different podcast apps uh, from different churches, and I received a notification from Calvary Chapel. I believe it's called Chino Hills. I believe is how you say it. Calvary Chapel. And they did a message. It looks like, I don't know, the timestamp on here is crazy. 90 minutes and 27 seconds. I, I don't know what this all includes. Remember, when we, whenever we're getting ready to review something, I don't listen to it first. We know sometimes that's a good thing. We know sometimes that's a bad thing. But it is entitled, What's Israel, what's next? Israel, what's next? And Jack Hibbs is the one who preached the message. I have the Jack Hibbs app on my iPad. I've been, I knew he would be, I knew he would be addressing it. I knew he would. And so, but I saw a number of Calvary Chapel churches that yesterday took their service and made it about the situation. A lot of Calvary Chapel churches did. Um, I don't know what happened where you went to church. But if, if they talked about it, I'd love to hear what was said, what was preached. If they talked about it in Sunday school, I'd just like to get an update about what's going, well, how are the church is handling this? Did your church just not even mention it? Act like it didn't even happen? What was going on? I have a feeling, I could be wrong, that even if your pastor didn't address it, there was probably conversation happening within the congregation during the greeting time or coffee time or whatever you do at your church. And I bet you there were some people talking about it. So what, what was the, what was the overall discussion? What, what was the overall thinking? Because I like keeping my eye on what's going on in the world of Christianity, because it, it, I think it's, it always helps me kind of figure out where we are going. So here's what we're going to do. I supposedly I have 90 minutes of audio in front of me. Now to do a review of 90 minutes of audio, I know you're going to laugh. That would probably take, I don't even know. I don't even know. It, it would probably take me weeks to review all of that. You're talking probably 20 hours of programming. So unless we get into this and everybody's like, keep reviewing, I'm, I'm just going to start the review. I, I labeled it part one because there's a high probability we'll do a part two if when I'm finished, I decide not to do a part two, I'll just change that part of the title. But I think I think it's going to be, I think it'll be beneficial. So we're going to go to Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. This was yesterday. We're going to hear what Jack Hibbs had to say in regards to Israel and what's next. I am very concerned because it be, I believe the text for his sermon, I believe, let me look really quick. I believe he's going to focus on 
20, I think he's going to focus on chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 24, and Matthew chapter 25. And the reason I'm going to say I'm very concerned is because I know it's probably common, what's well, common in a lot of churches. I would, I think it was pretty common in Calvary Chapel churches. I cannot be dogmatic about that. But I think he's going to take Matthew 24, and you know my feelings about Matthew 24. Look up our pod, our podcast series, uh, Bible Study Exercise, and look for all the hours of work we did on Matthew 24. Everyone takes Matthew 24 and immediately rips everything out of Matthew 24 and applies it to future prophecy. And let me say it again. Matthew 24, its primarily primary focus is not about the future for you or me. It was for the future for the original recipients, but it was primarily fulfilled leading up to 70 AD. 70 AD. I will try to demonstrate that more if we get into that, but I, I'm, I'm fearful. If, if he's asking Israel what's next, he's talking about what's next for us. So what's in the future We're in 2023. He's looking to watch the future even for us. And he's going to quote Matthew 24. I've got grave concerns. And now it depends on which section of Matthew 24 he's going to quote. I don't know. But there's a good portion of that is 70 AD. There's just no way to get around it. There's just no way to get around it. So let's see what he's going to do. I'm curious. I'm interested. And I am truly interested in what all churches are doing right now in regards to this very tragic and devastating situation because I understand whenever Israel gets involved, I don't care what your theology is. People are going to end up talking about it. If your theology is, I believe, Israel, there's a future, the covenant promises belong to them, they're going to get the land, there'll be a millennial reign, etc., etc. Or if you're in a completely opposite theological perspective, nope, Israel doesn't get anything, they lost everything, they were basically replaced by the church. Well, either way, people may use this as an opportunity to put forth their theological system. So we're going to set aside everyone's theological systems primarily. We're going to do a lot of observational work over the next week, two weeks, three weeks, ever how long this conflict continues on passages that everyone's going to be running to. And we're going to be doing observational exercises. I'm, I'm very much convinced that that's the way to go. And uh, hopefully the f- first hour we did yesterday was beneficial and uh uh, Wednesday night, we'll, we'll continue that observational work. Sunday, we'll continue that observational work. And uh, I think it's very beneficial right now. But are you ready? Here we go. Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. If I'm saying that incorrectly, I, I think it's C-H-I-N-O. So I believe it's Chino Hills. If I'm saying it incorrectly, I apologize. And uh, we're going to take a virtual, a virtual visit. We're going to go virtually back in time and hear what Jack Hibbs had to say and uh, how he conducted the service, and just see what is ha- what's, what, what's going on in the world of Christianity in regards to the current conflict in Israel. And here is another example of what is happening. The last one we looked at was Skip Heidzig, which uh, was, let's see, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, and a Calvary Chapel. So Calvary Chapel churches seem to be the ones that are, I, I, at least from my podcast feed, it's Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel that's all talking about it. Um, that seems to be where I, I'm finding most of the messages currently, but we'll see if that stays true. Here we go. We begin now. We're looking at a message today titled Israel, What's Next? In light of all that's going on in Israel and now 
in the world around us. I'm going to ask you to take a lot of notes today. I'm going to ask you to stay tuned, uh, pay attention, write it all down, and um, be in prayer as this uh, message comes to us today. Matthew chapter 23. I'll start in verse 37, and we'll segue right into chapter 24. And uh, this is the famed Olivet Discourse that Jesus gave just prior to his ascension back to heaven. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. And pray that your flight or escape may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be saved or shortened. Father, we pray. We ask you now, Lord God, to be in this Bible study. We, we know that you are. We've, we've come to worship you. We have your word wide open. And we seek, Lord, your truth. So speak to us. And Lord, as we have come to learn, take, Lord, what we're doing here right now. 
and send it to the ends of the earth. It's amazing to read a 2,000-year-old statement by Jesus Christ himself saying that the gospel will be preached to the ends of the world. And now we see that happening all around the world through the internet and all kinds of means. Okay, couple of things. First, it's interesting to kind of do a responsive reading. That's an interesting approach. Um, that's good. I, I, obviously, you, I, I'm assuming they have to show something on a slide. I'm, ass, I'm assuming that's how they're doing it. That's kind of an interesting approach. It at least engages everyone, hopefully getting everyone to focus. And by them doing responsive reading, people can't just read ahead, right? So, um, yeah, so I, I think that that's, I think, I think that's probably, an, that's an interesting idea. Um, so that you, you can draw your own conclusions if you like that or dislike that. Someone said, uh, they went to a, a Calvary chapel and the only thing that was said was no, Ezekiel 38 is not about the current situation. And then he continued his Matthew study. That's interesting. So their Calvary chapel did not, did not really do much. Um, I, at that, I, I, it feels like though most Calvary Chapel churches did, or at least that's how it feels, just just based off my podcast pa- podcast feed. So I can't, I can't. I mean, I, I don't have a statistical way of demonstrating that, but at least many did. So uh, we're going to continue here and see how he approached this subject. I, I am mm, using the all of it discourse. I, I just don't know, ladies and gentlemen. I just don't know about this. The I have stated so many times that, that I feel the Olivet Discourse, especially Matthew 24, has been so abused and twisted. I don't and it I don't understand people's inability to place it first and foremost in its proper context. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and just get this out of the way. I'm just gonna get this out of the way now. So, because I'm going to probably repeat this a thousand times and it's going to get on your nerves. But when you open your Bible to Matthew 24, and when, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, this occurs when Jesus is on earth and the temple that he's referring to is the temple that stood at that time. All right. So Jesus is on earth. He's looking at a physical temple. He leaves and his disciples come to him to show him the buildings of the temple. They point to that literal temple that's literally standing, literally there while Jesus is literally on earth. And he said unto them, see you not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He's like, oh, let, yeah, let's look at these, this buildings or this building, all these buildings. Let's look at all of this. You see it? It's all coming down. There's not going to be anything left. It's going to be destroyed. That, so they say, look at the building. He says, yeah, look at the building. It's all going to be destroyed. Well, we would just logically following a normal conversation. They're going to be like, wait, when? When is this going to happen? Because that sounds like, I don't know, the end of the world. That sounds everything because the temple, you know, it, it, it deals with God's presence. For them, the temple being destroyed would be catastrophic, would be traumatic, would be shocking, would be something they don't want. They want to know when this is going to happen. Everyone needs to know when this is going to happen. So immediately, uh, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, 
tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? They, 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 they are confused. They were like, what, what, what are you talking about? When is this going to happen? What, what, what is occurring? They, they, they are curious about that. And then Jesus begins to say, take heed that no man deceive you. And he begins to give the signs. The signs are pointing to the destruction of that temple. Now, I do agree that there are parts of it that seems to jump past it. I am far in agreement with it. To me, you have everything that seems to fit pointing to 70 AD needs to be left there. Everything that doesn't fit 70 AD, by all, by all means, point that to the future. But everything that points to 70 AD, anything that you can make fit 70 AD, that's where you leave it. All right? So when you read things like, uh, I think, uh, I think a good one would be a good example is a lot, almost everything up to that point from verse four, five, six, seven, uh, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Uh, it, when it says the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world, we demonstrated that if you look at some of the statements made by Paul, he, he, he uses the phrase that basically the gospel has been sent to all the world. So it, you could say that it technically that occurred before 70 AD. It would, it would have been fulfilled before 70 AD. So even we felt that that had been fulfilled at least based off the statements of Paul. All right. You continue to go on. Verse 15. Therefore, you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. The prophets stand in the holy place. All right. Was that fulfilled in 70 AD? Was that fulfilled when they came in and destroyed the temple? Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Well, I think if your temple's being destroyed, you're going to flee. You're going to run, right? You're going to do everything you can. Uh, Then it says to run. But then here's the thing. Verse 21 is where things seem to jump. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, no, nor ever shall be. Now, verse 21 is where it gets complicated. I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing that once we get to verse 21, we can be like, let's have a conversation here. But everything, everything coming before that, everything before that, to me, I think I can find a 70 AD fulfillment or something before 70 AD. But when you said, hey, the world has never seen any tribulation like this, never before, nor will it ever. Okay, that doesn't fit 70 AD. One, two, a temp- temple had been destroyed prior to 70 AD. So the temple being destroyed had already happened once. Okay, it was traumatic and, and frightening and people went into captivity. So you could see why the disciples would want to know when. But some horrible things have happened since 70 AD in the history of the world. World War I, World War II, the Holocaust. We could go on and on and on and on. So I, I don't, that's where I think this has to then be pointing at, at some point it has to jump and be pointing to the future. There has to be at least a past fulfillment in 70 AD because that's the, that's the immediate context. Then it can jump. I'm more than willing to have that conversation. What, what, drives me crazy is people will just open up Matthew 24 and immediately start applying it to the future, to the future, to the future. And you're like, no, 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 no. Let's, we always try to see if there's a historical fulfillment. If we can find a fulfillment leading up to 70 AD, then we say that verse was fulfilled then. That's my approach. And I think it should be everyone's approach if you want to be even remotely honest with the text. All right. Now let's see what he's going to do with this section. He's already taken part of it.
about the gospel being preached to all the world, he, he already jumped, took that and applying it to now. He didn't even bother to even mention about, well, wait a minute. Paul talks about the gospel being sent into all the world before 70 AD. So, but, but no, he, he's not even mentioning that. Let's see how he handles this. Here we go. Among so many other warnings of this great prophecy. So, Father, help us to understand. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. I apologize. I didn't mean to interrupt his prayer. I thought he, I thought he had stopped pray, praying and just went to explaining because he starts explaining that we're seeing this being fulfilled. That's one of the, that's one of those, I talk about it all the time. One of the dangers of praying before your sermon or praying after your sermon as a pastor. One of the worst things to do is you have a tendency to start either already be preemptively start preaching your sermon. Or you start summarizing your sermon at the end. Prayer is supposed to be you communicating with God, not trying to get the points of your sermon in. But when you're getting ready to preach, the only thing that's on your mind is your sermon. And right after you preach, the only thing you're thinking about is your sermon. I, uh, I, I, it's almost better to have a, a, a printed prayer and just read it. Because it's so easy at the, at, at, to just basically start preaching your sermon or repeating your sermon. And pray. God doesn't need to hear your sermon. If you're communicating to God, what are you communicating to God about? Because in some cases, we act like we're praying when we're still preaching, and that's a problem. But all right, let's continue. Obviously, we have gathered together at a, a solemn period of time. And um, for those of you who might be here today and you might be thinking, well, this is just another Middle East skirmish. Uh, they've gone on for a millennia now. Uh, in the, in, since 1948, they come and go. Uh, you know, there's the, the 73 uh, year war, uh, 1973. There's the issues uh, through, you know, the 80s. No, no, no. This is all different, everybody. It's all different. Uh, and by the way, just as a setup for you to recognize something, that we live in a time right now that is the, the most accurate age to live in regarding the fulfillment of Bible prophecy and or the teen up, if I can put it that way, the, the stage setting parameters of end times prophecy. Uh, we could say that the, the fuse is about to be lit if it hasn't been lit already. Now, these are not bombastic statements. Now, I do have to jump in. Remember, one of the things I'm trying to do, one of the reasons I'm looking and, and monitoring what's going on in the Christian world and keep turning on the microphone, reviewing it, analyzing it, critiquing it, and talking about it, is I am constantly concerned people are going to rip scriptures out of context, and we are going to start making outlandish statements. Now, the saying the fuse is being lit, I heard that in the 80s. I heard that in the 90s. I heard that in the 2000s, I heard that in the 2010s, and now we're hearing it in the 2020s, okay? I have heard it pretty much my entire life. The, 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 the fuse is being lit for the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Here it comes. It's happening. The Antichrist is about to be revealed. We're going to be chipped, and we're going to be given a number, and, and, and the mark of the beast, and oh, over and over, and we're going to be put in FEMA camps, and I mean, I have heard it all. I mean, 
I mean, I, I, I went to a non-dispensational school, an all-millennial school. And the next thing you know, what was being taught in that all-millennial school is that the world was going to end in 1994. Yes, Harold Camping, Family Radio School of the Bible. I was a student when that all went down. And that was insane to watch. And I saw all of those predictions. And, and you have to leave your local church because the church age is over. Even though he wasn't dispensational. Next thing, like the church age is over. The church, the corporate church is controlled by Satan. If you stay inside your church, you've taken the mark of the beast. You must leave. It was craziness. And in fact, I still have all the books and it was an insane time. And that, I watched all of that happen. So I've seen the craziness. I've seen the uh, jumping to conclusions. Now, I do believe that this is different. I will agree with Jack Kibbs. I don't believe this is your normal Middle East skirmish. This seems to be much more severe. Just look at the thousands of people that have already died. This situation has the potential to become far bigger than maybe we even expect it to. I'm not saying it will. Uh, I don't know how this fits into biblical prophecy, and I, I'm definitely not going to make any crazy claims there. But I do believe the, the situation, everyone should be paying attention to it. I do believe that. Just at the tragedy, the human suffering, the, the uh, yeah, you, we need to be paying attention to it just from that perspective. But let's... Let's see what he's going to do. Let's see what he's going to do. All right. He may think he may be, look, this is the one reason you listen to sermons. This is the reason we, we, we hear different perspectives. We don't want to just listen to what we already agree with because you know what? He may put forth some ideas here where he does demonstrate to me and prove to me that this is lighting the fuse for fulfillment of biblical prophecy. He may be right. So I'm willing to at least hear him out. But at the same time, I'm going to warn us to try to be level-headed, careful, factual, thoughtful, wise, and let's see where this is going to go. So here we go. Since May 14, 1948, Israel has existed as a nation for the second time. We'll hear more about this in a moment. But in the last several decades, there's been a global shift and a global move in ways that can only be answered in the Bible. You can try all of you want. I say this with love and respect. Try, go, read, whoever. You can find nothing more accurate than what the Bible says about the last days. And according to the scriptures, we are living in the last days. Now, I just want to get this right up front right now. It's going to shock you perhaps, but by the end of this message, I pray that you'll have a better understanding. Believe it or not, the current situation that is going on in Israel is literally not about Gaza. Listen, it is not about the Palestinians. Gaza and the Palestinians are being used as a pretext for the advancement of Islam. You need to know that right now. You need to understand what's going on. And I want that to just settle. No matter what you think about what I just said, I just want you to hold that up front as we get into this study and as you look at the world news. All right, you may want to write that down. He thinks that it's not about Gaza, not about the Palestinians, that, that that's all being used as an advancement for Islam. Now, this is a perspective that I have not heard. 
this is an hypothesis. I'm going to claim it, place it as an hypothesis. We need to test it. We'll have to wait and see. He thinks this is a all being used as an advancement for Islam. All right. I don't know when we'll be able to discover the answer. We'll see if he can prove his answer. We'll at least get the rationale, hopefully, and reasoning for his perspective. And we will see. I'm, I'm, my mind is already trying to process exactly how this, I've been looking at it more from maybe a geopolitical military strategy. I think, I think the bigger question that I've been trying to get is why would Hamas go in and do this terrorist attack knowing this was how this was going to play out? That Israel is going to come in and just try to simply eliminate them. I know on one hand, they can see themselves as being martyred. I understand we've got the Hamas charter that, that needs, that all Christians need to read and know about the Hamas charter. Um, I, I, and I'm like, uh, why would they do this? And then I, then I start looking at it from more like a military stra- strategy. Well, by coming in and doing that, taking hostages over, that almost forces Israel to come in to get the hostages. And if that forces Israel to come in and get the hostages, it leads to a humanitarian crisis and catas- catastrophe right there in Gaza with the news cameras rolling. And it's going to turn everyone against Israel. This is going to turn all the nations against Israel. And I think to me, that's more of, I'm looking at it more from that that strategic point. Hamas attacks, takes captives back into Gaza. Israel has to go in. It's leading to a humanitarian crisis where there's going to be starvation, death, and suffering as Israel tries to go after Hamas. But the rest of the world is just going to look at them being cruel and evil, and the world's going to turn against Israel. And then that well, that creates some serious situation. That it's a that it's a it's almost a strategy. Now, he's saying that all of this is not about Gaza. It's not about the Palestinians. It's about the, the, the advancement of Islam. All right. Let's see how my perspective is more from a, just a political, geopolitical, military perspective. Let's see how he explains his. This area called Gaza, which dates back thousands and thousands of years in your Bible, Gaza is a place where, again, we'll talk about it later, but it is notorious for thousands of years as being an enemy to Israel. You know who lived near Gaza? Goliath lived near Gaza. So did his four brothers. Remember uh, Samson, the judge of Israel? By the way, he was the judge of of what? Of where? Israel. Israel. Four of you know that. Was he the judge of Gaza? Was he the judge of Palestine? He was the judge of Israel. Remember that. Now I'm going to lay a lot of sarcasm on today by design. To make it graphic enough for you to get the truth. You know, truth comes delivered in all kinds of packages. And today we need to understand something. What we're talking about is deadly serious. And it is not going to go away. Because the agenda is a geopolitical, theocratic agenda that is underway. Listen, it's called Islam. Islam is Arabic for submit, or submit to, or be submissive. And Islam, everybody thinks Islam as being a religion. Islam has a division that is religion. It is a geopolitical worldview that came out of 
the vision of Muhammad and those that followed him and many of those who wrote after him and in the commentaries of the Islamic Hadith or commentaries of the Quran. You need to understand that. Relative, listen, speaking regarding time, the Quran compared to the Bible, the Quran is a relatively new kid on the block. You may not know that. You, listen, you're certainly not going to hear this level of truth already in any secular setting or in many churches in America today, and you certainly will not hear this from any of our Muslim friends. But the reason why I say that the Palestinian as an individual and Gaza as a piece of land is a pretext for the advancement of Islam because it justifies the teachings of the Quran to continue the preparation of the establishment of a global caliphate. You need to know that. Okay, a couple of things. It would be interesting, if you so desire to do this, to do a little work and see where, where, where is Gaza mentioned in the Bible? Does it specify location? Is it the same Gaza where it is today? Just because he talks about script, scriptural, he kind of, he kind of talked about Gaza being in the Bible. He didn't really point us in any specific direction. So that's something that we would want to verify. Now, it has been talked a long time about Israel's, or Israel's, Islam's uh, true desire to have a global caliphate that has been discussed over and over and over. Uh, at times, the, everyone was worried about it after September the 11th, 2001. There was great concern about it. When, when the world was worried about ISIS, we were worried about a global caliphate. Then everyone kind of forgets about it. It kind of goes away. And well, now here we are. We're being ta- told once again about uh, Islam's desire for a global caliphate. That's something to, to just keep in mind. This has been brought up many times. It's being brought up again. We will see. Uh, I, I, there is a theocratic, uh, element to Islam. There's no question about that. They want Islam to be in, not only the religion, but to be the law of the land. There is obviously a segment of Islam where that is extremely, extremely true. All right. How does that play in with the current situation within Israel? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's lots of questions we could, we could ask, but let, let's see where he takes this. And there are some nations over the time that have gotten in the way of that. Europe got in the way of that. Spain got in the way of it. England got in the way of it. France, Austria, Poland, uh, Turkey. Well, you know, at the time it was the Byzantine Empire uh, was later invaded. But you need to remember that when we talk about Islam, the initial thought is to think about it being just this uh, religion type thing that started there uh, near Saudi Arabia someplace today of the map. Uh, Well, then let me ask you this. Then what was it doing in Vienna, Austria and in Paris and in Cordoba, Spain and Alhambra? I ask you that. Why were the Crusades ever conducted in the first place? Have you ever stopped to ask that question? Why on September 11, 1683, the king of Poland assembled the Christian forces in Europe to defeat the Islamic invasion in Vienna, Austria? Because there's a push to establish a global caliphate that has been an ongoing belief, just like you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, just like you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
As passionate as you are about biblical truth, they are as passionate about Islamic teaching. Notice how I didn't say Islamic truth. Even, even Jesus himself warned that in the last days, that would include the, the 6th and 7th century, the era of the birth of Islam, that the Bible even forewarned that if an angel were to even appear from heaven and teach any other message that which has been given to you in the Bible, let that angel be accursed. And what is Muhammad's report? That an angel from heaven came and told him a whole new gospel. And Christians in various parts of the world already had those scriptures to judge all that. But listen, in the West, we've become so comfortable and so ignorant of the truth and so distracted that we don't know these things. And that's shame. I want to get some things up front before we get into the reasons why. The Bible tells us and warns us what is known as eschatology. It's a big word, big meaning. The Bible is the only eschatological book in the world that is accurate and that has the uh, record that it has. Did you know that the Bible, when it comes to eschatological teaching, which is future teaching, Bible prophecy, the Quran fails, the Book of Mormon fails, Jehovah Witnesses fail, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the the, the, uh, the, uh, sages of ancient times past, Uh, all of the various religions of the world, they claim to have prophecies, but in reality, they never produce one. That's why, listen, I often get confused on on an airplane flight or where I'm at in some country because I'll I'll be talking about uh, uh, the Jewish scriptures, for example, and on my ring in Hebrew, it says, your people, my people, your God, my God. Uh, And so people will say, oh, are you Jewish? And I said, no, but uh, (laughs) the God I worship is Jewish. And you might say, well, what a thing to say. No, it's exactly the thing to say. If you understand the Bible. And today we're all about the Bible. And I hope tomorrow and forever we're only about the Bible. Can you just jot jot this down in your note-taking, please, regarding Israel and what's next? Israel now is fighting its greatest war since the Holocaust. There have been more Israelis murdered than any other time since the Holocaust. And uh, what is spooling up now has involved these nations as of this hour. Number one, Iran. Key player. Jot it down. Iran. Okay, now that, that is someone we... Now, this is just looking at more from a geopolitical perspective. Iran getting involved is clear escalation multiple fronts, more death, more destruction, and more problems. So obviously, Iran is someone to pay close attention to and watch in this situation. I completely agree. I completely agree. China. We'll talk about the connection. He said, China. That's interesting. Not considered that. More than willing to hear his discussion in regards to that. Think I know, but I don't want to say. Let's see where he goes with this. Russia, no surprise to the Bible student of the book of Ezekiel. 
There we have it. See, I, it, it doesn't matter. Anyone who starts talking about the situation, Ezekiel is going to be mentioned. But yeah, so he's saying Russia is another nation to, to look out and how they could get involved. I do agree. We want to keep out, keep an eye out for that because that would clearly be again escalation. I don't know how much Russia can get involved because I don't know, you know, they're kind of currently involved in their own war. So I don't know if they have any resources or ability or even interest currently in what's going on within Israel. I mean, they've got, they've got the Ukraine situation. So I, I don't, I'm a, I'm a little skeptical about that one. That's my own personal feelings. I'm skeptical. But when he says a Bible student knows about Russia because he's mentioning Ezekiel 38 and I'm, I'm going to continue. That's why you have to do observational exercise because when someone just imposes and places Russia in Ezekiel 38, go just observe the text without any system of eschatology, without a commentary and see if you're like, oh, that's Russia based off what? All right. So that that's why I wanted, that's why I was so desperate to finish that yesterday. And then of course we have all kinds of technological problems, but we will get to it Wednesday. We definitely will be doing our observational exercise on Ezekiel 38. I am go, I am committed to making sure we do that because it's so important because everyone's, you, everyone's going to mention Ezekiel. Even, even in the, in the, in the comment section, their church didn't say much, just said this, this isn't Ezekiel 38, but it still was mentioned because everyone's going to mention it in some way, shape or form. So we need to be experts on it. You, we need to be not experts of the interpretations of it, but experts of the actual text. That's what we need to be. So, all right, let's see where else he goes here. Turkey. Or in your Old Testament, Turkey is referred to as Togomar. Syria. Lebanon. Believe it or not, North Korea is involved. Tragically now, with the breakup of this current government's policies of the United States, Saudi Arabia has basically bailed out of the Abraham Accords and has sided with China regarding its condemnation of Israel. This is a shocker, but don't worry. According to the book of Ezekiel, Saudi Arabia will have a turn of thought because in the book of Ezekiel, they will become an ally to Israel uh, in that future battle. So once again, I bet you he's referring to Ezekiel 38 or 39. I bet you he's uh, referring to Ezekiel 38 and 39 and he's just starting naming nations. Mm -hmm. Oh, so much we've got to work on there. Okay. All right. I see. I knew, I knew, I I knew, I I told everyone yesterday, you watch churches all over the place are going to be mentioning Ezekiel 38 and 39 today. I, I, I said that yesterday and here we go. Here's. I don't know how many, I, I, I could probably dedicate, we could probably do a 24 hour marathon where I just sit here in front of this microphone going from sermon to sermon to sermon to sermon to sermon, to sermon preach yesterday where people are mentioning Ezekiel 38 and 39 or at least the current situation to, uh, that's underway in Israel. And uh, he's using Matthew 23, 24 and 25, but, well, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But even here, Ezekiel is being mentioned twice now, twice. Keep an eye on that. Obviously, the United States. We'll talk more about that. England, France, and now the nation of Taiwan. These nations that I've just mentioned are either directly involved or in support of 
or falling victim to the nations I've just mentioned to you right now. Taiwan is, um, is on the cusp of, of it being gone. China is about ready to walk into Taiwan. They will, pro- they will probably wait a little bit longer until the United States is fully uh, depleted of military capabilities to defend Taiwan. Uh, however, uh, you know, we'll see what, what the Lord has in store. Church, mark this down if you would. Uh, we're going to call it number one. And uh, as I begin to look at number one, it's this. Uh, what do we know for sure? Um, I will both give scripture and I will get, give commentary. Uh, this is what we know for sure. Is that what is going on right now in Israel was inevitable. Because of the Islamic doctrine that you've been hearing for years, but you didn't pay attention to it, and it predominantly came out of Iran uh, that fueled its proxies, such as ISIS, um, Hezbollah in the north in Lebanon, and in some degree Hamas in the south. Uh, among other terrorist groups, they had a chant Death to America and death to Israel. They've been chanting this since I've been a kid. And uh, one of those things is that we are not going to stop until Israel is driven into the Mediterranean. And there's no Jews alive. I'm not making this up, ladies and gentlemen. You just don't want to hear it. It is their agenda. And it's published. It's preached in mosques around the world on Fridays. We don't want to know that as Westerners. Mikhail Gorbachev said before the Soviet Union fell... Mikhail Gorbachev told the Supreme Soviet, he said, we need to make sure and capitalize on this fact that the Americans do not want to know. We don't want to know stuff like this. We just want to have two days off. We want to go to Disneyland from time to time and pray that the Rams win a game. We're, we're, we're a people occupied with distractions. And the hour now is upon us that the dr- distractions can no longer be part of our lives. So what do we know for sure? Well, number one is that Israel is mentioned in the Bible by the very mouth of God himself. Israel, the name, is not an invention. Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, Moses writes, and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Genesis, the book of Genesis, in the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, Genesis, God says regarding Jacob, I'm not going to call you Jacob anymore, I'm going to call you Israel. It's the first time it appears in the Bible. You mark that down. You remember that, everybody. The Bible is God's communication. It's God's megaphone. The Bible is God's message to mankind. It's validated. It's confirmed. The Bible's not going anywhere, friends. You can burn every Bible in the world. It doesn't change God's eternal truth. You can't stop the Bible. You can kill every Jew and every Christian and burn every Bible. It doesn't stop God's truth. God's, word, God's truth's eternal, and he gave us his word in the Bible, and if you burn the Bible, it doesn't stop God's truth. He's going to do it anyway. 
The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Isn't that great? I love that. But God says, he says, he invents the word Israel. Deuteronomy, are you ready? Write write small. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. And from there you will seek the Lord your God. He's speaking to Israel and you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart with all of your soul, my Jewish friends, Gentiles, Muslims, why don't you decide today to seek God with all of your heart and with all of your soul? Because that's what God requires. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the last days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. Did he ask them to swear to him? No. The God of the Bible swore to the fathers of the people of Israel known as the Jew. And today I want to give you this warning before anybody tunes us off or turns us off or gets out and walks out and says, you know what, I'm a a New Testament Christian. I live in the New Testament era. Listen, what in the world are you talking about? You have no New Testament promises without the God of the Old Testament keeping his promises. If he doesn't keep his promises to Israel, he cannot, will not, has no obligation to keep any promise to you. That's a powerful point right there. Now, he's kind of a little bit all over the place, so some of it's kind of hard to follow. It feels like he just was ready to go and he's got a million things to say and he's almost trying to structure it in real time. And look, I understand that. No, no condemning it, no critiquing it, because a lot of times you got a lot of things you want to say and you're trying to figure out how to do it. And sometimes it's literally happening in real time. Um, just a couple of things. I, I do love, love, love that, I, that idea that you don't have a New Testament promise without the God of the Old Testament. If, because if he didn't keep, if he does not keep his promises to Israel, then there's no trusting in any of his promises for you or for me. That's the whole thing. If God made specific promises to the nation. Now, I know the argument from other theological streams is, no, no, no. He never made the promise to the nation. He made it to the his people, to the saved, to, to the church. It was always really made to the church. It's not that the, 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 the church replaces Israel. The promises were never really to the nation. They were always to, in a sense, spiritual Israel. I understand that argument, but I think the text clearly screams over and over, he made promises to a nation about land, about who would rule over them, about them being reunited. The two sticks in the book of Ezekiel uh, Ezekiel 37, two sticks put together as one. The house of Judah and the house of Israel will become one. They're going to be, in a sense, resurrected. They're going to be reunited. They're going to be united. They're going to be regenerated. And they're going to be in the land. And God's going to be in the midst of them. Those promises have never occurred. If they have never occurred, then they have to occur or God is a liar or you so spiritualize them. They literally mean nothing. So I, I, I do believe this is a powerful point that he is making. Let's see where else he goes. Remember the Bible says that the Gentile has been grafted into his salvation. The Bible says, don't boast against the root. Remember that. People are not going to, listen, I know people are going to call me and write me about this message. I'm not going to answer. Just listen to the message again. Just listen to it again and again and again. 
Isaiah 42, verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, says God. New things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The God of the Bible knows the future in advance. Everything that's going on right now, yes, it's horrible to see what's happening. Let me be honest. I'm going to be very honest. It's horrible what's happening in Israel. It's horrible what's happening to children and women and soldiers and citizens and old ladies and old men. It's, it's horrible. It's also horrible of what's happening to the people that are in Gaza. Good. I'm so happy that he says that. It is horrible what's happening to the people in Gaza as well. Just remember, we can believe God made a covenant with Israel. We can believe God's going to give them the land. We can believe all of that. And at the same time, when Israel does something, we can say, we disagree with that. That's wrong. It doesn't mean you have to just always agree with everything Israel does. We can call it into question. That doesn't, because guess what? God's covenant, God's promise to them is not based off the fact that Israel would be perfect or Israel would do the right thing all the time or that Israel's always going to be in the right. No, God made his covenant promises because of grace and mercy and because of his sovereign election. Just like God made a, God has saved you and made it in a sense a covenant with you. And guess what? It's not based on what you do. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why you get to Ezekiel 37. it's God doing all the action upon them because, well, we can't do it ourselves. And whenever you go to Deuteronomy and God tells Israel, do this, seek me with your whole heart and do this and do this, they never accomplished it. They failed because we all fell under God's law. God has to do something himself. So we can be critical of what Israel does. Doesn't mean It doesn't mean if you believe God made a covenant with them and he gave them the promise for this, that we just turn our back and go, well, everything Israel does is right. No, that it doesn't mean that. And we should feel horrible and be just as broken about the suffering within Gaza as we are within Israel. It's also, listen, there are Christians in Gaza. They're, they're, they're Christians in Gaza. They live there, but they're not, listen, they got to hide from the Muslims and they got to stay away from the Jews. They, they can't interface with the Jews because the Jews don't like them. They're basically living in no man's land. They'll get killed if their Christianity is found out. But know this, that in the whole mix, my heart goes out to everybody who is sincerely involved versus a perpetrator who's involved. There are those who are using the Palestinian people for their war effort. I do not have the time. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do all your homework for you. It's too much. I'm not kidding. You should see the data I left back in that room right now. Maybe we'll publish it somehow, but I don't want to do all the work for you. I'm going to make a statement. You go see if it's true. The lieutenant commander of Hamas said, The Jews love life, and that's their weakness. They want to live, that makes them weak. We want to die, that makes us strong. That's why when we use our women and children in battle, they are the heroes who die before us. Who thinks like that? Demons. Devilish doctrines. Does not the Bible say that in the last days, doctrines of demons and evil spirits of teaching will permeate the world? We read a moment ago that Jesus said, watch out, because there's going to be false teachers in the last days. What kind of a mindset hides behind women and children to, ex- to execute their war? The, the logic that says, it's okay if they die. It's okay if I lose my wife. I'll just get another one. Or I got four of them. If I lose one, I got three. I'll get another one. My kids, they die, they die in the cause. 
They're not casualties of war. They're actually believed to be warriors, says the lieutenant commander of Hamas. This week, I'm, I'm very grateful to Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro, I'm sure he doesn't watch these programs. But I'm grateful to Ben Shapiro, who this week had translated from Arabic into English many of these statements by Hamas military leaders and imams. And you ought to go back to Ben Shapiro's podcast and just let those speak who are speaking and hear what they're saying. You don't want to hear this, people. You don't like it, but it's the truth. And we need to wake up. We need to wake up. Isaiah 66, verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born in a day? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. You can write down, right next to Isaiah 66, verse 8, you can write down May 14th, 1948. There's no other nation, listen, skeptic, no other nation in the history of mankind that has had its rebirth in one day except Israel. No other nation. The moment May 48th, 1948 happened, May 14th, 1948 happened, the moment that that happened, God's stopwatch started again. Right now, as Gentiles in this world, we're living on borrowed time. The church of Jesus Christ in the earth, this is the first time in human history that Israel and the church have existed at the same time, which means God's about ready to go to work with Israel, if you know your Bible, and he's about ready to be done with the church on earth. It's a remarkable time you and I are living in. And we ought to be looking up as Jesus told us to be. Now, again, when someone says it's getting ready to happen, I'm always, I'm always like, whoa, slow down, slow down, slow down, because people have always been saying that. So but understanding it, being looking for it, hoping for the return of Christ, that's okay. Just don't say, hey, it's getting ready to happen. Well, let's see. Well, we're at 61 minutes, so we're going to have to stop this in a second. Let's just see where else he goes here. Zechariah chapter 12. This is, by the way, if you don't know your Bible, this is all Old Testament prophets we're talking about here. These are the Hebrew prophets. Zechariah 12 verse 2 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people or nations round about. Hmm. When the nation shall be in siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone to all the nations. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people or the nations of the earth be gathered gathered together against it. Isn't that amazing, everybody? How many rivers does Jerusalem have flowing through it? Zero. Does Jerusalem have oil? None. Is there an airport in Jerusalem? Nope. Is it, you name it, it ain't got it. You know what? In fact, when it rains in Jerusalem, rocks grow. <laughs> the Bible says the epicenter city of the world, I know it's hard for Americans to believe this, it's not Hollywood. <laughs> it's not LA, it's not New York. It's Jerusalem. And these are, fat. listen, Isaiah is nearly 3,000 years old from our day right here, right now. And the Bible says in the last days, Jerusalem's going to be the issue. My friends, it's not Gaza. It's not the Palestinian people. The target's Jerusalem. 
for a reason. For a reason. Mark that down in your mind when you watch the news and when you listen to people. I tell you what, God's my judge. This week watching the news, I've watched so much news, I mean, I'm just sick of it. But for you, I had to take the hit. Seriously, I just wanted to take a shower, take a bath. Sometimes I wanted to vomit because I don't watch Western news. I do not watch news in America. While a lot of the news I watch is unfiltered news from other countries. And I've seen the things uncensored. This stuff that people are talking about. Oh, that never happened. Yeah, I guess you're right. If you watch Fox and CNN and MSNBC or MSLSD or whatever it is. If you get your news from America, you're messed up. You need to get your news from Al Jazeera or the Iranian Times. Or how about news out of Yemen? Why don't you look at some of the other news sources and watch what's going on? Where you see babies paraded around on bayonets, pierced through and paraded. Now, I'm going to offer a different perspective. I can't stand when someone's, well, I'm not going to watch any of that news. Watch the news from America and watch the news from Al Jazeera and uh, all the other news agencies, uh, BBC, uh, any other news agency, uh, news agencies from Canada, from the UK, from the Middle East, from Jerusalem itself, from Israel itself. Don't just just try to make sure it's some type of actual news agency, right? Something that you hopefully can have some level of certainty, not just random conspiratorial sites, but don't just say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to watch any of those. That, 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 I, that makes no sense to me. If you're going to gather information, you gather information from as many reputable sites as possible. And look, I do struggle with some U.S. news. I do. Right. Especially, I don't know. And I know I'm going to get myself in trouble. I have a hard time watching a news channel that was just sued for a billion dollars for publishing and promoting lies about the election. And that news agency is Fox News. And they had to pay seven hundred and fifty million dollars to settle it out of court. And they've got another lawsuit, Smartmatic, coming after them when you're being sued for lying on the air and you settle out of court because there's emails from your host, the, your commentators on the air saying they knew what they were saying wasn't true. They want to lose their audience. I'm sorry. I, I've got problems. But guess what? On my news podcast, I subscribe to the Fox News five-minute hourly news update. So I still try to get some news from them. I still do so. CNN, MSNBC, you name it. I try to gather from as many. So don't Say, I'm not going to watch anything from the United States. No, you want the American perspective. You want the, the, the perspective from Europe. You want the perspective from the Middle East. You want the perspective from Israel. The more perspectives, the more knowledge and knowledge is very important. All right. So we're going to wrap this up. We're at 66 minutes. This is interesting to know that this happened on Sunday and I look, I, this is over 90 minutes long. So I don't know if he went the full 90 minutes, but if he did, that's amazing because most people would not sit in church for 90 minutes. 
Um, you, you, you can, you can argue whether you agree, disagree, whether you like this or not, don't like this. Uh, maybe, maybe there's going to be music somewhere in here. I don't know, but it's 90 minutes. Again, Jack Hibbs, Chino Hills, Calvary Chapel. Look it up. Um, Israel, what's next? Listen to the whole thing for yourself. We may come back and review more of it. I'm just fascinated to see where it goes because it, his structure here is hard to follow. Um, he seems like he's just overwhelmed with information, but it is interesting to see a church come together and be willing to just try to talk through these very important issues that are unfolding in real time. Now, yes, he has a clear, a, a clear system of eschatology that he's imposing on these events. Uh, so, um, you know, I would rather him spend 90 minutes doing observational exercise and laying aside his eschatology. But, you know, I, that, that's a, I live in, I live in a dream world. In reality, no church is going to do what I attempt to do. And nobody wants what I attempt to do. That's why my church is so small because nobody wants to be in a church. Like, we're just going to do a observational exercise for the next three hours. People are like, no, 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 I don't want that. But I, I still believe it needs to be done. But we'll, we'll let him wrap up this point. This is really kind of a part, of, I guess his first point. I don't really know how to even, summarize his first point. We'll see if he gets ready to say number two, and then we'll stop. Here we go. Oh, it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. In your little world, it didn't. Joel chapter three. Are you guys okay? Because I'm laying it on pretty hard. Joel three, verse one. For behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, notice God says, I'm going to bring them back. Oh, yeah. You know what that means, by the way? God's a Zionist. Did you just hear what I just said? Do you, need, do you even know? Listen, I know many of you have been to college, so you don't know. God is a Zionist, which means he says in the Bible, I wrote my name on Mount Zion. To be a Zionist means the land belongs to Israel. To be a Zionist means God fulfills his promises. Do you see why your family's in a big debate over this issue? Are you stupid? Come on, man. You sound like a Zionist. I am a Zionist because I've read my Bible. Don't apologize for that. That's what woke does. Woke says, are you a Zionist? You say, I am. I've read. I don't know where that accent just came from. (laughs) I am. I'm a Zionist. I read my Bible because God is. God says, I'm going to rebuild my nation again. And in Joel 3, he announces that, verse 2, I will also gather all nations, this is forthcoming, by the way, this hasn't happened yet, and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I've been there. It's amazing. And I will enter judgment with them on a, watch this, why God, why are you going to enter the judgment with the nations of the world? I'll tell you, basically he says, on the account of my people. Are you hearing me? The God of the Bible says, I have a people. I picked them. Remember Tevia and Filler on the Roof? God, I know we're your chosen people. You chose us. But God, can you choose someone else for a while? On account of my people and my heritage. What's the word? Say it again. It's not the word Palestine. By the way, it's not in any real Bible. 
So what do you mean any real Bible? Are there fake Bibles out there? There's some dumb Bibles out there that are modern day publications that remove the word Israel and put Palestine in here. And listen to this. And what's hilarious about it is there was no such thing until 135 AD by the emperor Hadrian from Rome. He named Israel Palestine because he said, I hate the Jews. And I hate their uprisings against the Roman Empire. So we're going to wipe them out. And we're going to do two things. We're going to rename Jerusalem Capitolina. And we're also going to remove the name Israel from its ancient heritage and get them to forget who they are and call it Palestina. One of the hills in Rome is called Palestine or Palestina. It's connected to the root word... Philistia. Philistia or Philistine, they resided in Gaza. Do you know what Philistine means? It means those who invade by the sea or from the sea. Those who invade from the sea. I'm a Palestinian. If you're a Palestinian, the word means you've invaded from the sea. You should know that. This is serious stuff, people. Now he just made. He just may have uh, some uh, Siri decided to start talking to me on my iPad. Um, he just made some serious, is what I was trying to say, serious historical claims. Those historical claims would need to be verified carefully. Do, he's not stating sources. He's not stating anything. He's just stating these things as dogmatic assertions. So you may want to go back, write down those claims and do a little research. If you do research, please, by all means, send it to me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Please state sources from which you gathered information. And if you find information from reputable sources that contradict that, let me know as well. In the middle of a review where we're at 73 minutes, I don't have the time right now to start looking into some of that. Some of that I have heard. Some of that I've heard challenged. So I cannot make a dogmatic assertion, but I would just say, be warned, because those are major claims. And everybody's just saying, amen, amen, amen. All those people saying amen have, I guarantee you, most of those people saying amen have no clue if any of that is even remotely accurate. Not at all. Now, it could be. It could be. But I'm always skeptical when I hear kinds, certain kinds of claims. So he's so Oh, oh we, we got to at least wrap this up. We got to at least wrap this up because we need a, a good stopping point. All right, here we go. All of this is to hopefully bring you to the understanding. God also says this, whom they have scattered among the nations, Joel 3, who they've scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. Do nations of the world desire to divide Israel's land? Come on, people, let's wake up. You guys awake? Do you need some coffee? Do you? God says, 2,700 years ago through the prophet Joel, the world is going to seek to divide up my land. And that's the biggest passion of the UN today. The united nothing is to divide up the nation of Israel. That's okay. Listen, don't worry about it. Just when you hear it, just say, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, that's what my Bible said would happen. And boy, read the fine print, UN. You're in big trouble later. Big trouble. He says, why? Because they have cast lots for my people. You know what that means? It's a political statement. Hmm. 
why don't you guys take this part of the Jews and you can have those part of the Jews and I'll have this part of the Jews. And are you, Can you believe this is in the Bible? It's the Bible! Isaiah 27, verse 6. Isaiah 27, verse 6. Those who come... Please note how he's using the scripture, though. He's just going to a scripture. No context, no nothing. Boom. And just and just imposing his eschatology on the text. He's not elite. See, this is why we need all oh, the observational exercises. We need to become more... I think right now, when we have a situation like this going on globally observational exercises need to become the norm in your Christian life. You need to spend every day taking a text of scripture and just doing observation, observing what's there. Don't try to do any interpretation. Just read and then write out your observation. Outline it. But it's an observational outline, not an interpretive outline. Don't look at any notes. Don't do any. Just look. Okay, what's this? Okay, okay. It mentions this, this, this. It mentions this. It does this, this, and just, just no interpretation. Become experts at doing observation. Hermeneutics, the, the foundation, the groundwork for correct biblical hermeneutics is observation. He's not giving you any time to observe. Hey, read Joel. Now, yeah, there's some very important things there. Absolutely. I need, I've got questions. Is this referring to something in the future? Something that happened at that time? I got questions. Then he just jumps to another scripture, jumps to another scripture, jumps to another scripture, jumps to another scripture. Remember his text was Matthew 23, 24, and 25. He, they spend all of that time reading it. And he's not done anything about expounding it. So I, I, the whole thing is a mess structurally. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not going to be critical of it in the sense of I understand he's got a lot he wants to say, but I, it does bother me when he goes from scripture to scripture to scripture and we don't have any ability to do any work on it. No actual work is being done on these texts. He's reading it and telling you what it means. He's imp- and he's doing so based off his system of eschatology. It's not because he's, he's, whenever we come to a text of scripture, we have to throw out everything we think and know about it and then just work on exegeting it. And that starts with observing it. All right, I'm going to see what scripture he's going to quote here and then we're going to stop. Come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. This is the, this is the, uh, the return of the Jews in Bible prophecy. Now you take that for granted because you live in the 21st century. You've already seen it happen. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the earth with fruit. (laughs) You guys, Mark Twain passed through Israel and he said, this is the most worthless, treeless, godless landscape I've ever seen. Mark Twain. You go to Israel today, I could sneak you, I could sneak a picture in Israel today and take a picture and show you, and you'd say, and I'd ask you, where, where, where is this picture taken? And you'd say, hmm, kind of maybe somewhere near Zephyr Cove up in Lake Tahoe. Or maybe Chino Hills. With the rolling hills and the oaks. No. What about those vineyards? Oh, that's Napa. Or France. No, that's the upper Galilee region. It's a paradise today. Are you hearing me? It's a fact. I'm sorry if you don't like it, but facts, John Adams said facts are stubborn things. (laughs) I like that. And by the way, Israel is responsible for filling Europe up with fruit. 
Isaiah 43, verse 3. Isaiah 43, verse 3 says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I gave men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. See, God's a Zionist. It means he's going to build up his land of Zion. He's doing it. He's been doing it. And nothing's going to stop him from doing it. Even this war that's going on right now. You think God is waking up and saying, oh my goodness, how did this happen? (laughs) He knows everything. I understand the suffering is hard to handle, but we're not God. And by the way, let me say this. We've been created in the image of God. If we care about the suffering, he cares about it infinitely amount more. We just don't deal with it like he does. When he, listen, Abraham says in the end, Abraham said, shall not the Lord of all of the earth do well or do right or do what is right? Right now, you and I want to call the shots. God says, sit down. I got this. Well, how can this be happening? He answers. In the book of Deuteronomy, he answers. In many other places, he answers. But don't worry. It's not over till it's over. And he's the one that determines that. And we'll have to stop right there. That's Jack Hibbs, Chino Hills, Calvary Chapel from yesterday. Israel, what's next? We didn't even come close. I don't think we even finished half of that. Um, there's a lot more to go. He, I think he went for 90 minutes. Um, I, I, this is just what a lot of people in the Christian world are talking about. And I want you to hear it. I want you to go look it up, listen to it, subscribe to their podcast, um, and just keep up with what's going on. I'm going to write down the timestamp because we may come back to this because I'm curious to see where it goes. I think we got like 56 minutes to go. It's some crazy number. But uh, there we go. Um, there you have it. I, what I'm taking from this, and I've been, I, I said this Sunday, and I'm going to say it again. The more I hear this, everybody just running these scriptures, running to these scriptures, running to these scriptures. It's scriptures with the that it's scriptures are being read, but what's being imposed upon the scripture is esch, uh, people's system of eschatology and theology. And what we need to get is we need to have people engaged in serious observational work on the Bible, where you're just going through the text going, what does this seem to say with the words that are being used and not reading anything to it and setting aside every presupposition and every conclusion you've ever come to about it? Because then only that, when you be master the content of the text, then no one can impose anything onto the text. When you master the content of the text, you are protected from people manipulating the text. So we definitely need a lot of that. He had a lot to say, a lot of claims there. I I wish there was more I could say, but we're at 82 minutes, so we have to stop. So you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. We may do more on this this afternoon or this evening. I don't know, but after 83 minutes of broadcasting, 
I'm going to take a break. So everyone have a great day. Please pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Please pray for the people suffering in Gaza. Please pray that somehow this entire situation can begin de-escalating because right now it is a horrible situation, but it is one that will raise many questions about Bible prophecy. And I'm keeping up with what's going on in the world of Christianity so that we can try to address it from a biblical perspective, maintaining reason, logic, truth, and not jumping to exaggeration and, well, all kinds of wrong ways of thinking. So let's work together to do that. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.